welcome to Living Hope Church. Uh, welcome to those of you uh, joining us online. Uh, today we are continuing in our series, Summer on the Psalms, uh, and within that we are wrapping up our look uh, at Psalm 23. Uh, and Psalm 23 is one of the most uh, famous passages of Scripture in the Bible, yet in its familiarity I think we often miss the depth of what it has to teach us about life and how God desires to lead, love, and relate to us as his followers. Can, can you guys hear me? I can't hear myself. You can hear me? Okay, cool. So we'll continue. Uh, for me, the greatest uh, takeaway on this for this past two weeks has been the truth that God leads us on right paths, and he desires to do so for his name's sake. Uh, and this is such a phenomenal and powerful truth that is threefold. First of all, it's just absolutely uh, incredible that the God of the universe uh, would take a personal interest in me, and that he would desire to lead me in a relationship like a shepherd leads a sheep. He doesn't lead from a distance, but he desires to lead us in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day relationship. The God of the universe created you, he loves you, and he desires to lead you. I mean, that, that truth right there absolutely blows my mind and overwhelms me. But not only does God desire to lead me and lead you, but we know that he, when he leads, he will only lead us on right paths. When God leads, it's not up to us to discern whether or not he is leading us where we need to go, but we can trust that because he is the good shepherd, that the paths he will lead us on are right. And we can know that when God leads, he only leads on right paths. And then the flip side of that, that we can know is that if we are living in sin, we can know that those are not the paths of God. And we need to repent and stop what we are doing and return to him. Now sometimes his right paths are slow. Sometimes he leads through the dark valley. Sometimes he leads the green pastures. But no matter where he leads, we can know that the paths are right and that he is with us. Finally, we can know that not only does he lead us on right paths, but he does so with a purpose, and in that he gives us a purpose and a meaning for our life. That purpose, that meaning is to bring him glory and to make his goodness, his hope, his righteousness, his name known to the world. He leads us on right paths for his name's sake. Everything that we do in this life has purpose, and that is to glorify God and to make him known. We don't exist for our own glory. We don't exist for our own fame. We don't exist for our own happiness. We don't exist for our own comfort. We don't exist merely for ourselves or our families, but instead we exist for his name's sake. Right paths for his name's sake means that as followers of Jesus, we don't exist merely for ourselves, but we exist for Jesus and for his glory, his purposes and his name's sake. We exist to make him known. So when he leads on smooth paths, difficult paths, slow paths, we can know with assurance that it all has a purpose, and that purpose is to make him known. We don't wander through this life trying to find our way and trying to find purpose. When we follow Jesus, the good shepherd, we can trust that he leads on right paths, that he gives us a purpose and a mission, and that is to glorify him and make him known. No matter what path he is leading you on, no matter what job he has you in, no matter what interests, hobbies, passions he has instilled in you, he desires to use it all for his glory and his name's sake. He can and will redeem every path, every job, every passion for his name's sake. If you'll surrender to him and for his glory. What a, what a promise. God loves you. He desires to lead you daily and has a purpose and a mission for your life. This life is all about Jesus. He desires to be our chief pursuit, our purpose, our love. That's something we talked a lot about uh, this week at youth camp while we were there. Where is it that you find your purpose, your identity? 
And I know on Sunday morning the answer is Jesus, but what does your life display as your priority and purpose? Is it Jesus or is it your work, your family, your comfort, your happiness, your recreation? You fill in the blank. And how would your life look different if the answer truly was Jesus? We sang a song at camp all week where the chorus just repeated this. It said over and over, nothing is better than you, Jesus. Man, that's a great anthem to sing on Sunday or at youth camp. But how different would our lives be, our priorities be, our focus be, our finances be, our time spent if we truly believed that there was nothing better than Jesus? It would change everything. Yet that's the call for us as believers, to live our lives following Jesus, believing that he is more valuable than anything, in that doing all things for his glory and his name's sake. So that's, those, that's kind of been my big takeaway from the first two weeks. Uh, we've talked about a lot of other things in the last two weeks. So if you missed those, you can check those out uh, on our website or on iTunes or YouTube or wherever else. But we're going to wrap up uh, Psalm 23 today with yet another incredible promise. Uh, so we're going to read the whole of Psalm 23, and then we're going to focus in on verse 6. So David writes in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this passage of Scripture that we've had the opportunity to look at these last few weeks. God, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today as we look at verse 6. God, that we would be reminded of your goodness and your love that pursues us. That we would rest in the assurance of eternity. And within those promises, Lord, that we would give you this life. That we would live this life today for your good, for your glory, and for your name's sake. God, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we get to verse 6 here, we read it within the context of the whole psalm, but particularly in the context of verses 4 and 5, which come right before. And one of the assurances of Psalm 23 and one of the assurances of the dark valley that we saw last week is the presence of the shepherd in the sheep's life. It is the shepherd's presence, God's presence, that allows David to say that as he walks through the dark valley, he will not fear because God is with him. The reason that we have hope in the dark valley is the shepherd. The reason we have hope in this life is the shepherd. And the reason we have purpose is the shepherd. And that purpose is to make him known. We, like sheep, exist, thrive, have a future and a hope all because of the shepherd. And David says, you are with me and you will be with me all the days of my life. So when life is good, you are with me and you keep me grounded in you. When life is bad, you are with me and you give me hope. When life feels pointless, you are with me and you give me a purpose. When I feel all alone, you are with me and your love pursues me. And when life seems too difficult, your goodness follows me. The shepherd is the hope of the sheep and Jesus is the hope and the provision of the Christian. So our first point is simple and it's straight from the text. It's just that your goodness and your love pursue me. The first half of verse 6 just reads, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. So as we begin, let's, let's define two terms first. First of all, the NIV and most English translations translate this goodness and love. And it comes from a single Hebrew word. 
And the Hebrew word uh, is the word hesed, and it is perhaps the most important Hebrew word in the Old Testament for us to understand the depth of God's love for his people. Hesed means a loving kindness that expects nothing in return. It means grace, and it means mercy. It's the word used for Boaz's love for Naomi in the book of Ruth. It's the, the word used in Hosea to represent the undeserved loving kindness he has for Gomer. It's used to describe David's love for Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. And it's used throughout the Psalms to tell us of God's love for man. God's love for his followers, for you and me, for his sheep, is completely undeserved. Its depth is incomprehensible. His love is never-ending. It's without presuppositions, and it's completely dependent on who he is and not our goodness or our worthiness. Hesed represents his covenant love that he never forsakes or goes back on despite our complete unworthiness. So it's this incredible Hesed love that David says follow and pursues after him. The second word I want to touch on uh, is the way that this love follows us or pursues us. You might have noticed I changed it from the NIV uh, where it says your love follows me. And the reason I changed it is because it comes from uh, the Hebrew word uh, radoff, uh, which is more frequently translated pursue. Uh, other versions or versions will say pursue, and, and I just like it because it's uh, more vibrant and colorful to me than the word follow. When I think follow, I think trail behind. But when I hear pursue, it actively chases after you. I mean, this is the lion in full pursuit of its prey, as opposed to the begrudging child trailing behind or following his mom at the mall. The shepherd's goodness and love doesn't trail behind, but it actively follows, chases, and pursues us. We can't escape from his love. His hesed love, his covenant love full of grace and loving kindness. It pursues us every day of our lives. When I think of this, my, my mind jumps to Lamentations 3.22. It reads, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord's love is great and it is undeserved. And his love pursues us and awaits us anew every day, every morning. What an incredible promise. All right, well, I think that's more than enough Hebrew for one morning. But what David is saying here, he's saying, Lord, all of my life you have been there. You were there when I was watching over my followers, followers, father's sheep, and I had to wrestle a lion. You were with me when I stood before the giant. You were with me when Saul tried everything he could to have me killed. You were with me when I went to the ark and I brought it back to Jerusalem. You were with me through every war and every fight. You were with me when I committed adultery and I need to be forgiven. All of my life you have been there. He says, no matter what I do, I can't get away from your goodness and your mercy. When I look behind my shoulder, there it is. When I speed up, goodness and mercy are still tracking me down. When I hide behind a wall of offense, you know where to find me. I cannot get away from your goodness and mercy. And that's what David says to us, and that's what Jesus promises us. He is with us in his goodness and his love. They pursue us all the days of our lives. I think most of us believe this in our minds. We might believe this on Sunday mornings. But if we could rest and walk and live in this reality and this truth, I believe it would change our lives. God loves us. His love is deeper than we can comprehend, and he is with us every moment, every day. And he can be completely trusted no matter what we are walking through, no matter how dark the valley. Philip Keller, who we've quoted quite a few times uh, over the last three weeks, in his book on Psalm 23 writes this. He says, not only is this a bold statement, but it's somewhat of a boast. 
an exclamation of implicit confidence in the one who controls his career and destiny. He says, how many Christians actually feel this way about Jesus? How many of us are truly convinced that no matter what occurs in our lives, we are being followed by goodness and mercy? Of course, it is very simple to speak this way when things are going well, but what about when one's body breaks down? What is my reaction when my job folds and there's no money to meet the bills? What do I say when suddenly without good grounds, friends prove false and turn against me? These are the sort of times that test a person's confidence in the care of Jesus. When my little world is falling apart and the dream castles of my ambitions and hopes crumble to ruins, can I honestly declare, surely, yes, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David believed and lived with confidence that the Lord was with him and his goodness and love followed him all the days of his life. Not only did David believe God was with him, but he believed that God led him on right paths and he was sovereign and in control over it all. When you believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control, then it frees you and I to trust him with our lives and to trust him with the results because he only leads on right paths for his glory. I love this R.C. Sproul quote. He said, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, yet they believe in the sovereignty of man. Do we actually believe that God is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is good and loving, that he is with us? Or is it something we believe on Sunday from 10 to 11.30 and then live differently the rest of our lives? How would your life change if you believed not only that God was with you, but that he was sovereign in control of your life? If you believe that he could be trusted with all things and with all outcomes, that he could be trusted with your life, your family's life, your children's life. Because that's the promise of the Bible and of this song. His love pursues you. He is trustworthy. He is sovereign. And he leads on right paths for his name's sake. And we talked about this last week, but we have an advantage even over David. The Bible tells us that followers of Jesus, his Holy Spirit indwells us. So we will walk around day in and day out with the Spirit of God indwelling us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the God of this world is indeed with you always. But do you believe that? Do you live like that? This reality freed David to say, I fear not in the darkest valley. It provided peace for Paul when his life crumbled, and it speaks trust and peace over your life as well. Peace in this world of chaos is available. Security in this world of of threats is available. Faith in this world of fear is available, but can only be found in a relationship with Jesus in in which you walk with him and talk with him and hear from him as he leads you. He is pursuing you. His love and goodness pursues you. Will you pause? Will you listen? Will you walk with him and allow him to be your shepherd, protector, and sustainer? And so for for you, maybe you need to talk with someone about beginning a relationship or trusting him today. Maybe you need to make time to hear from him and follow the shepherd. Or maybe you need to pause and remember his faithfulness in the past and let his faithfulness speak peace and security over your future. And that leads to our next point, and that is that the good shepherd God's love never leaves. David says, your goodness and your love, they pursue me. But he doesn't just say they follow me today. He doesn't say they just follow in the valley or in the green pastures. But he says, your goodness and your love follow me all the days of my life. God's love is always there. He is always loving you, always pursuing you, always with you, and equipping you to pass that love on to others for his name's sake. You can't run from his love. He will never abandon you when circumstances get difficult. His love pursues you every day, every moment of your life. David says it like this in Psalm 139, 7 through 12. 
David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David says, no matter where we are, no matter what we are going through, no matter where we find ourselves, we can trust that God is with us if we are a follower of Jesus. And his hesed love, his loving kindness follows us and it pursues us. We are never alone. We are never outside of the shepherd, our Savior's love. Paul says it like this in Romans 8, 35 through 39. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Paul was facing persecution and death under the, under the Roman emperor Nero, but he says there is nothing that Nero or anyone else can do to him in this world that will separate him from the love of God. He says there's no one, no thing, not even death, can separate him from God's love. The Holman commentary says Paul was a man of unshakable confidence in the love of God. He feared neither tangible hardships of life nor the intangible fears that creep into the consciousness of any normal person. Paul's answer to those questions of where is God in the midst of suffering, trial, and death is simple. Paul's answers then and his answer now is that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul's faith, like David, was unshakable. If we're in a relationship with God, if we put our faith in Jesus, then there is nothing that can separate us from his love and goodness. It pursues us and follows after us all the days of our lives. And we can place our complete confidence and our faith in that. Last week we talked about those people that have unshakable faith. That they have peace and joy even in the midst of the valley, in the midst of trial. That kind of faith is only possible when you live with this kind of confidence. This kind of reality and this hope that God is with you and loving you all the days of your life. Living with the perspective of reality that God is with us and he loves us changes everything. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to live with that because it's so easy to get distracted by the challenges and the difficulties and the mundane of this world. And in that we forget who we are in Jesus. And when we lose and forget that God's love pursues us all the days of our lives, then the thoughts of fear, insecurity, greed, distraction, they creep into our lives. David says, even then, your love pursues me. This assurance and this reality of salvation and God's love enables the Christian to live with a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it empowers and enables them to live their life and give their life away for the gospel and others. Jesus in Mark 8, 34 through 36 said this to the crowd. He called uh, the crowd to him along with the disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And he said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
The assurance of God's forgiveness, grace, and salvation and new life is why someone would give their life to follow him. They would give their life to follow him out of gratitude for who he is and for the forgiveness he has given them. You look at Paul in the New Testament, we've quoted him a few times, but he is, he is beaten, he is imprisoned, he is shipwrecked, he is starved. And you say, why would someone sacrifice so much to tell people about Jesus? You think about your life and you ask yourself the question, why would I sacrifice my time to go to church? Why would I sacrifice my time to help someone else? Why would I risk my reputation to sell, tell someone else about Jesus? Why would I give up my money to the things of Jesus? Why would I change my priorities to those of Jesus? Why would I give my time to serve someone else? Why would I sacrifice or change anything? Paul answers that in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Jesus. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. The reason Paul sacrificed, the reason we change our priorities is because Jesus is greater than everything else this world has to offer. And when we understand who Jesus is, what he has forgiven us from, and his, that his love pursues us, those things become not a sacrifice, but become a privilege. A gain because of our love and gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Because of his love for us, it ought to become our joy to serve and to give for others. If we truly believe there is nothing better than Jesus, if we truly believe we have been forgiven, if we believe that his love pursues us, then how can we not Give of our comforts, our ease, our priorities for his. If we believe that he gave his life to save us, how can we not give our lives for his glory in his name's sake? His goodness and his love pursue us the rest of the days of our life. And so it is our joy and our privilege to share that goodness and love the rest of the days of our lives. And then David concludes with yet another incredible promise. He says, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we don't dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of our works and our good deeds, but we dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of who God is and what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. We serve, love, and share God's goodness and love out of gratitude for who he is. The promise that God's love will pursue us all of our days, the promise that we have been forgiven of our sins, and the promise that we will spend an eternity with our Savior in heaven is what frees the Christian to give their life here on earth away. These promises give us the strength to walk through the dark valleys with a peace that surpasses all understanding. These promises enable us to put others above ourselves. These promises allow us to give away our lives to make Jesus known and glorified. And these promises give us a future in our hope. And that's our final point today. And that is that we will dwell in the house of the Lord for forever, for eternity. David assures us that God's goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives. But it doesn't end there he says when the time comes and our life here on earth ends we don't just cease to exist but instead we get instead things get even better because at that time david says we will dwell in the house of the lord for eternity paul says to live is to live for jesus and to make him known but to die is personal gain because i get to spend eternity with my lord forever as we saw earlier paul says nothing can separate us from the love of god not even death that's our hope. That's, that's our promise. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love the, the words David hears. I love the picture he paints. 
So let's look at, look at that real quickly, the picture he paints. And the first word that is so important here for, for us to understand is the word and. The word and is important because it connects the whole passage together. It connects yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God's love uh, was with us in the past. It is with us in the present, and we are assured his love will be with us in the future, even as we pass away from this earth. Rick Azell said, God, uh, God says, he says, I've got this great life planned for you, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you through it, but that's not it. He says, I've got something else for you at the end. You will be with me for eternity. And so this word and reminds us that not only do we have a hope today, but we have a hope for eternity. The next important word for us that emphasizes the intimacy is, uh, and the, the rest and the permanency is the word dwell. The word dwell means to rest, to reside, to settle down, to make a home. We will dwell. We will rest and settle down with the Lord for eternity. It's not a rush thing. It's not a short-term thing. It's not an inconvenience. No, we will rest. We will sit. We will dwell with the Lord forever. Now, I love the word house, the word home. We get to be with God in a personal way that is only done in the home. When you hear the word home, it, it brings up memories of, of family, of comfort, of, of just where you were at your, at your best, where you were accepted. And that's what David's saying. We will spend eternity in the house, in the home, in the family of the Lord. Home draws us back. John Howard Payne, had, he, he'd been away from home for nine years. One afternoon, he stood at the window watching the people hurrying and going home, and suddenly he felt lonely in his Paris boarding house. The story says, impatiently, he turned from the window because he had work to do. He thought maybe this was the play that was going to break him through. He had no time for sentimental dreaming about home. But the mood and the memories of a town in Long Island wouldn't leave him. So he picked up a pencil and began writing the famous words, Mid pleasures and places though we may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. That's what David said heaven is going to be like. It is intimate, it is personal, it is family, it is quite simply home. And as followers of Jesus, we are given a promise of coming home to the Lord forever one day. And the final word that's so important here is the word forever. David doesn't say we get to go and have a cup of coffee with the Lord. We don't get to go and visit for a week or even a year. But he says we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise. What a promise to look forward to. The promise of spending an eternity in the house of the Lord with our God forever. That's how the Christian walks through this life. It's the reason that the, the Christian gives their life today for the gospel and for others out of gratitude for what God has done in their life and the promise of what waits ahead. If we believe and embrace the promise of heaven, the joys of heaven, it frees us to give this life in this world for him. For the, to give this life for him. For the Christian, this world isn't it. There's something to look forward to. For the world, this is it, though. It makes sense for the world to seek pleasure, to seek comfort, to seek themselves. But for the Christian, heaven awaits and the joys are greater than we can comprehend. And forever. So everything that we experience here on earth that is good, that is right, that is beautiful, in this world is just a foretaste. It is just the fringes of God's joy that awaits. The things that we pursue here on earth for joy and comfort are a shadow of what awaits in heaven. And David says it's forever. 
Have you ever had one of those just amazing days that are just filled with joy and you're surrounded by those you love doing what you love to do, but as the night goes on, you kind of feel it slipping away? People start to head home and you just want the night to last forever? Growing up as a kid, I was the kid that always got sad about noon on Christmas because I began to be aware that the, that be, began to be aware and grow sad that it was soon going to be all over. All the anticipation, the joy would end by tomorrow and we'd be back to normal. I think about my, one of my th- favorite things to do as a child was to sit at my grandparents' table when family and friends would be there. Just listen to them tell the stories. But I'd always grow sad as the night would go on because I didn't want it to end. Have you ever had that amazing day and then you try to replicate it the next day or a week later? It's just not the same. The joy we experience here on earth is fleeting. The satisfaction is fleeting, but in heaven, David says, it is eternal. What a promise. What a a future that awaits the Christian. God's love pursues us, and we will experience his love, his joy, his satisfaction forever as we dwell in the house of the Lord for eternity. If Jesus gave his life for our salvation and he promises eternity of joy and satisfaction, then it ought to become our joy, our privilege to give this life back to him. If you think about those promises, are you living your life for you, for your comfort, for your ease, for your pleasure? Or are you living this life in the reality of heaven, living it for Jesus and for his glory? Psalm 23 calls us to live in the reality of eternity. We tend to see our lives in such a nearsighted way where we worry, think, and live only for the present. But David says, look to the future. Look to our hope. Look to our home that is with the Lord. That reminder, that reality strengthens us. It gives us hope and gives us a future in the midst of our day-to-day. Imagine if you lived as though heaven was real. If you could live in that reality, it would free you to give up today. To give up this life because you have an eternity of joy and satisfaction that awaits. An eternity of joy and satisfaction that your neighbors and friends don't have the promise of. You would give up today so that they might experience it. Jesus said in John 10, 27 through, through 29, we know that this kind of relationship, this promise is only for those that are a follower of him. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father am one. Jesus promises that his sheep know his voice. They follow him, and to them them he gives eternal life, and they will never perish. And so the question today is, do you know his voice? Have you ever trusted Jesus with your life, asked him for forgiveness of your sins? Because every promise we have talked about in this series is all dependent on a relationship with God, a relationship with the good shepherd through Jesus. So have you began that relationship? If you're not sure, the answer is no. It's the day, the day that you will put your faith in Jesus and experience all of his promises. Or perhaps for you, maybe today is the day that you begin that journey of discovering who he is and whether or not you want want to follow him or you can trust him. So we believe there's no greater decision you can make and no greater relationship that you can begin. So if you'd like to talk about that today or this week or any time, it would be our privilege, my privilege, your friend's privilege to answer your questions and tell you about Jesus. But if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, 
Does the reality that his goodness and love pursues you each and every day, does that, does that reality impact your life? When life is hard, when it's good, when it's comfortable, does that truth affect your life? Because of the assurance that God has forgiven you, that he is with you, that he loves you, does that change the way you live daily? Out of your gratitude, are you giving your life for the gospel so that others might know him? Or is that reality just a source of comfort for you and you alone? Jesus calls on us to give our lives for the gospel. Paul says it's the only appropriate response to what Jesus has done for us. So do our lives, does your life reflect your gratitude for your forgiveness, for his love and the goodness that God has shown you? We've talked about this over and over in the series, but, but we live, we exist. The good shepherd leads us on right paths for his namesake and his glory. The reality of his goodness, the reality of his love and eternity with him is what empowers us to live our lives for his glory and to make Jesus known for his namesake. We exist to make the shepherd known because of all he promises and all he does for his sheep. Is what Jesus has done in your life changing the way you live, changing your priorities? Are you living a life of gratitude? Is Jesus your chief pursuit? Is he your priority? And as you think about your today, as you think about your future, are you seeking God's call? Or are you seeking, are you seeking where he can use you the most? Or are you seeking your desires, your comfort, your happiness, your joy? David says we have an eternity of joy that awaits us. Seek him today. Leverage your today for his glory and for his name's sake. Lastly, maybe, maybe you're in the trial. Maybe you're in the good times. You just need to rest in the reality that God loves you. That his goodness follows you not only today, but it follows you the rest of your life. That reality hopefully will allow some of the burdens of this life to be given to him. The good shepherd's with you. He loves you. He walks with you no matter what you're going through. I'm going to pray for us as I do. The worship team will lead us in a final song. But if you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus or what that looks like in your life, please come and talk with us. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the rhythm laid out in Psalm 23. Lord, we thank you for the assurance of who you are. We thank you for the promises. God, we thank you that you love us. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for our sins. To die the death that we deserve, to take the wrath that we deserve. And that if we trust you with our lives, you are faithful to forgive. But not only to forgive, but to give us your righteousness and to give us the promise of an eternity with you. God, I know for many of us, we, we know those truths in our head. We've heard them preached many times on Sunday mornings, God, but I pray that as we go throughout this week, they wouldn't just be head knowledge, but they would affect the way we live. God, that our, our future, that our today would be shaped by who you are. God, that we would live for more than this world. That we would live for more than just, more than just our comfort and our happiness and, and for us, but that we would live for you. Lord, that we would leverage all we've been given for your glory. So that as many as possible in Green River, uh, in our neighborhood, in our friend group, might know you and know the promise of your forgiveness and eternity with you. 
God, as we rest in the reality of who we are in you, Lord, would you help us to know that and then in that give our lives for your glory and your name's sake. Would you make it just painfully aware to us today where we are failing in that and where we need to trust you. Would you make it painfully aware to us where you are calling us in the future, where you are calling us to invest for your name's sake. God, would we not be distracted by the world that we would be faithful to follow you. Because we know that a life lived for you is so much better. It's so much more well spent than a life spent on ourselves. God, help us to live in the reality of who we are in you. And let that affect us day in and day out. God, we love you. We praise you in your name we pray. Amen.